other pastors here, and it's just great. It is great to see you guys here. Well, hey, today we're going to talk about despair. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, you're thinking despair, you know, wow, you know, I am so happy I came here uh, today. But actually, our theme for this, this entire year actually is going to be called Bouncing Back. Because I believe that, man, we've been going through all kinds of stuff for the past couple of years. It's been a long uh, several years that we've been going through all this kind of stuff. And I really believe in my heart, God's people always what? They bounce back. They bounce back. Um, we may get knocked down, but we actually will, will rise up again. Sometimes different, sometimes altered, sometimes in a whole different spot. But we will bounce back again the way God would want us to bounce back. And we want to talk about that. And we want to look, about, look at what that is all about. God's people bounce, and they bounce back. And we got to figure out then how, how do we bounce back from this thing called despair. Now, remember this guy? I remember if you remember this guy. Remember this guy from Princess Bride? If, y'all, if you're old, you remember him really well. well. Yeah, He was the keeper of the pit of what? The pit of despair, right. Yeah. What a term, you know, pit of despair, you know? Um, it's, just a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a bad, it's a bad word. So this past week, I'm, I'm having my own personal pity party um, um, myself. I was tired. It's been a long couple of years for us all. And, and, you know, with mass, no mass, recorded services, outside services, we've been doing the whole gamut of trying to keep this thing going. And so obviously I'm weary of it and you're weary of it and we're all tired of this kind of stuff. And, and, and actually, I kind of I said tongue-in-cheek, my goal when this is all over because there's opinions about everything now, absolutely everything now on mass and COVID and reality and all this kind of stuff. My goal, I said, is to offend every single one, every single person in the church at some point in time. I need to let you know that this week I made it. I made it. Everybody is now completely offended. I had just, read, <clears throat> just written, I just read an email from somebody that said, if you make me wear any things anymore, I'm never going to come back again. And somebody else has said, unless you make everybody wear these things, I'm never going to come again. <laughs> you know. And so anyway, I was able to mission accomplish my whole thing on, on this whole deal. And so I'm having my, my, my little pity party about how hard my life is right now, you know. And, and, and somebody brought donuts into the office up there, donuts, you know, big box of, of donuts. And, and by the way, unless you've, you've, if you haven't done the research, it's really true, donuts have been proven to relieve stress, okay? They, they honestly have. The more you eat, the more you can relax. I mean, this isn't just awesome, you know, you'll have stress about something else later, but, you know, stress is going away the more you eat donuts. Well, well, um, I can't have donuts. I can't, you know. Donuts are like the number one thing that I, I, can't, I can't have. They're on my number one list of, of no things. I can't eat donuts, but the problem is I can smell donuts. And the smell of donuts is just going throughout the whole, the whole office. And that's what I'm thinking. Now not only am I having to stress about this kind of stuff, I'm now, I'm now I'm in the office of despair. I'm just going to let you know. I'm in the office of despair, having to smell this thing that can relieve my stress that I can't, that I can't even touch. And I know I'm making light of situations. I, I, I know I am, because despair is not like that. And I've been in despair. You have been in despair. We struggle with it. It really is a real thing. And, and again, we can joke about it. But I was trying to think through, man, how does, what is despair? You know, and, and how does it hit us? And and it's, it's kind of like bad circumstances and overwhelming problems and arguments and loss and pressure and broken dreams. And I think, you know, you, know, you give me those maybe sequentially, and I can possibly handle them, you know, but, but, boy, too many things at one time 
all of a sudden I start to lose something, and what I start to lose is hope. In, fa in fact, um, I can handle all these unless there is no hope. When you add the, the no hope into the equation of any one of those, that's when you hit despair. Despair is there's just no hope. I'm going through problems and issues and challenges, and I just don't have any hope. I can handle things as long as I have hope, but there's no hope, there's no despair. Okay, you know, your, your turn. You know, any of you ever been in despair? Have you ever been? You know, and the answer is going to be, of course I have. You know, of course there have been times in my life when I've experienced loss or I've experienced arguments or pressure or broken dreams, and I'm not sure I had the hope that I, I, I really needed. Um, that term, pit of despair, actually is not unique to the Princess Bride. It's a biblical word. It's a biblical term. Um, Psalm 42 says, God lifted me out of the what? Out of the pit of despair. So it's God going to be the one who helps us out of it. Now, now, how does God do that? I mean, how does God bring us out of that pit of despair? How can we, you know, bounce back from a despairing, despairing time? Because the Bible says this. It says we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And, and, and those are good words, but you kind of notice there's like, like a, uh, um, those phrases, there's a comma in the middle. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, okay? The comma. You see the comma in there? And, and I don't know about you, but I tend to focus on the words that are on the left side, you know? I focus on the hard-pressed, pre the perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But look on the right side. I mean, that's, that's where I want to get. I don't want to be crushed. I don't want to be in despair. I don't want to feel abandoned or destroyed. How do I move from one side of the equation to the other side? How can I live on the right side of the comma? And that's what we want to talk about. And that's what I want to talk about how we can pull that off. Or not we can pull that off. But we can get ourselves in the spot, in the position, spiritually and emotionally, and just get ourselves in the headspace where we are surrendering to God to help have him help us pull it off. And first of all, the first thing, again, is this, is, is ask God to reframe my view of life. And the key word here is, is reframe. And, and I hope you understand what I mean when I say reframe, um, when you reframe something. I was once at Hallmark buying balloons, <laughs> balloons, you know, for me, trying to buy balloons. Anyway, um, and as I was kind of trying to find the balloons, because they have them, you know, I was walking around, and they have picture frames there at, at our Hallmark right here in town. And, 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 and these are nice frames, not just the regular standard ones, but these are ones that you put a particular picture in. And they have like a saying or a word on the frame, kind of either, either scrolled into the frame or kind of on, on top of it. It's, it's, it's just a word to kind of help you understand, understand the, the, the frame. For instance, um, you know, uh, vacation, you know, vacation. And you put pictures of your vacation on it, you know. Or there was one the world's best friend, and you put a picture of it with your friend or world's best mom. You know, um, you, you go ahead and do that one. And, and I noticed they had one there that said world's best pastor. <laughs> Nobody was buying those. They had a surplus of those. I just noticed there. So I bought one for myself. Anyway, the frame helps you understand, actually, the picture. I mean, you don't put a picture of your house in, in the middle of a frame that says world's best or best vacation. 
unless you had a really lousy vacation and you stayed home, okay? You, you, you don't do that. Framing is how you choose to look at something, and framing is how you choose to look at life, how you put the frame on, and then you begin to look at your life that way. And we can put our, our, our view of life in frames. Life is fair. That's a frame, okay? When we say life is fair, that is a, a frame. I don't think it's an accurate frame, but if you frame your life that way, that's what you're going to kind of view life as being. Or, for instance, life is easy. That's a frame. Or good guys win. Frame, bad guys lose. Things don't fall apart, you know. Or only good things happen to people who are living for God. Those are all frames, okay? And again, if something that happens that doesn't fit the frame that you've established for your life or in your life, then you're going to be in frustration or in struggle or in challenge or despair. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you on this one? That's your, your, your frame of life. Now, obviously, the best frame of life, I believe, comes from God, and it comes from the Scriptures and the Bible, and the Bible will give us, when you look at it accurately and correctly, the right frame on how we, we look at, at life. Um, Taylor Swift sang a song that says, you know, trouble, 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 and she never stops saying it, trouble, 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 you know, and that actually is a frame of life. That has to be a frame that's part of our life. Jesus said it first when he said, in this world you will have trouble, okay? You'll have trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And for those of us that say in life there should be no problems at all if I live a life, a good, clean life or have a bad frame. It's not going to work that way. We have to expect and understand that there will be trouble in life. We have to understand that. And I tend to freak out when, when appliances break at the same time, and, and then I begin to doubt, and, and, and then I begin to lose hope that good's ever going to come. That's because my frame is wrong. My frame is incorrect. Um, in this world, we will have trouble, and we will despair and if you've ever said this, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I don't know if you've ever said that before. Or this isn't supposed to happen to, to people like me. Or this doesn't happen. That's a frame. Okay? And that's not an accurate frame. And this is why I'm so thankful that God gives us Scripture. When we look at it correctly, we can begin to see the frame that God would want for our lives. Jesus would go on and say, in this world you'll have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And see, that's kind of the frame around the frame. Yeah, I'm going to have trouble, but I can take heart because he has overcome that. It's better than that. Okay, so I have to reframe my world. I, second is, is because I'm now reframing my world, I need to have to learn to live with a limp. Okay, live with a limp. And I'm going to explain that one in a second. In the book of Genesis, chapter 32, you've got to read it. I mean, it's a, it's a wild story. It's just kind of popped in the middle of this thing, and it almost doesn't even make sense. But it's a story of Jacob, and Jacob's in a pit, literally, in a pit, okay? And he's in despair, all right? And, and, and Jacob is one of those guys that he manipulates his way around life. I mean, he's one of those schemers, and he's manipulated. I'm not sure we'd become good friends, you know? He's the kind of guy that you take, you, you, you know, he's going to take you out to dinner, but he, you end up getting stuck with a bill, you know? He's that guy. You know, he is, is that guy. He's always kind of working it and working it and working an angle and this and that and all this kind of stuff. And, and people like that, well, they tend to burn a lot of bridges in life. And um, he did. 
um, and he burned a big one with his brother. He ripped off his brother the inheritance for the family inheritance. He got it instead of, of Esau, okay? Esau should have gotten it. Jacob manipulated the situation. So he got it. And Esau wanted to kill him, and so Jacob took off. So he burned that bridge. And then he, he ripped off his father-in-law. He got married up to his father-in-law, and, and, and now his father-in-law's mad at, at, at Jacob. And so he takes off from there, and, and, and he's gotten over years, a family, all that. He can't go back to his hometown because Esau's bugged at him and wants to kill him, and Jacob's mad at him, and he's kind of stuck in the middle. He's made a mess of his life, okay? He's been successful at it, but it's a mess nonetheless. And, and so he decides, I'm gonna, I guess I can go back home. I'm going to try and go back home and make peace with Esau. So he sends a messenger to his brother Esau, and this is part of the story. This is the one who ripped off for the inheritance. Messengers come back and says this, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. He and 400 men with him. Okay, okay, that's not looking good. Okay, we're not talking about they're all coming together for the family reunion. All right, 400 men, you just don't gather 400 men to come so you can all give your brother a nice surprise welcome home party. It doesn't work that way. So Jacob's going to try and manipulate this one because that's the way Jacob lives. Okay. And again, the story is going to start to talk about how we sometimes try and work angles for our own life, okay? If this is a problem, then I can do this, then I can do this, I can do this, without turning to God to ask for help. I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to ma manipulate it this way. And his, his plan is this. Okay, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to start sending my flocks and my herds ahead of me, and maybe that will appease Esau, and maybe he'll be so happy with this stuff that he'll just take these things and leave me alone and won't kill me. And then he gets a little worried about that. And he says, now I'm going to send my family ahead of me, okay? I'm going to use them as a human what? Shield. Got it? You know? And maybe they'll see that, but if they, if they kill them, well, then maybe he'll leave me alone. You see, you see this guy? You know, you see this guy? See, I don't like him a whole lot. But anyway, and so he sends them ahead. Maybe if he kills this group of the family, he won't kill this group. If he kills them both, I'll kind of figure out in the morning, and then I'll just Boulder goes someplace else on this way. And so he sends them all ahead. They're all going ahead. And it gets dark. And he goes down into this little ravine, literally a pit, you know, a, 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 a gully. He goes down there, and, and it's in the dark. His family's at risk. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been at, in these points in your life where you start to take kind of a, a reflection back at the mess you've made of things. Have you ever done that before? All of a sudden, you, you start thinking through, oh, crud. You know, I, I, I think I made a mess. Maybe it's after a big argument with somebody. It's like, man, I screwed that one up. He's looking back at his whole life now because he's all alone, and it's quiet, and it's dark, and he's in a pit, and he has screwed up his whole life, and it's culminated in this now, this one point here by himself. And in the morning, he has no idea what it's going to look like. None. None at all. He's literally in the pit of despair. And for the first time in his life, he's realized, I can't control this. I've schemed my life through everything. I've been able to call the shots. For the first time in my life, it's all out there, and I'm not in control. It's going down, okay? 
Now let's see how he bounces back. And something happens, and it's a weird thing that happens, and you almost think, what the heck is going on here, and why is he even in here? God sends an angel to wrestle him, you know, okay? And it's like, where does that come in the story, you know? But an angel comes to wrestle him, and, and, and Jacob's wrestling this guy, and he can't, be, he can't beat the angel. I mean, he can't. It's an angel from God. Um, actually, God makes it so the angel can't beat him. But it's like all of a sudden, God's giving Jacob a picture of his whole entire life. It's like, Jacob, everything in your life is a wrestling match, isn't it? And every wrestling match you've gotten yourself into, you've been able to win in some way, shape, or form, you know, but not this one. You won't win this one. You can't win this one. Not at all. And so he's, he's wrestling, he's wrestling, and it's like he's been wrestling with God forever. He's been at war with God to keep in charge of his own life. And the Bible says this, the man struck the socket of Jacob's hip and dislocated it as they wrestled. And you think, well, where does that, where does that come into all of this? And, and, and I don't know if you've, if you've ever wrestled somebody, you know, play wrestle or whatever, you know, goofing around. But if you're ever wrestling with somebody, um, all of a sudden, if your hip goes out, what do you do? You fall. Or if you don't want to fall, you do what? You cling. You grab. You grab onto something. And Jacob grabs on to this person. He hangs on. And he's doing something physically that he should have been doing spiritually with God all along. Realizing that apart from you, God, I am dislocated and I should be clinging to you for everything. And God, my whole life I thought I've been able to do this all by myself. And now I can't. Do you see the object lesson that God is giving him now in his pit of despair? You can't do this on your own says, the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me, meaning I need your help. And this is what God's been wanting all the time. What's your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. He said, your, no, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel. The term Jacob, the name Jacob means schemer. The term Israel means God fights for you. Fights for you. Now, let's consider the hip socket for a second. It's shot. It's torn up. Um, I don't know if you've ever had anything dislocated. It hurts. It hurts real bad. And it doesn't heal that quickly. It just doesn't. And so Jacob limps. In fact, Jacob will always limp, by the way. But in this case, the limp was necessary for Jacob. It had to happen as a reminder that you can't do this on your own. You just can't. And sometimes it takes us to go down into the pit of despair to realize that we've lost everything for God to finally get our attention enough to say, you just can't do this on your own. Understand that. Now, he went through a little bit of pain, a whole lot of anguish. But do you understand the God of mercy that saved Jacob from who? From himself. Jacob is being saved from himself. So in the midst of the, the pit of despair, 
he all of a sudden begins to find himself. Life will hit hard, and it will cause you and me to limp. And we have to learn to live with a limp. Because the limp is there as a reminder that we can't control life all on our own. I've told you this. My best friend died tragically when I was in my late 20s. And this was a kid that lived two doors down from me, two doors down. I mean, we did everything together. We grew up together, okay? One of those, he was in my wedding, you know, I was going to be in his wedding, all this. We played ball in the street. We went for runs, shared everything. Talked about girls and life. I led him to Christ. I mean, it was an awesome friendship. And I remember getting the call that he died. And it was like huge parts of my life were like falling apart. Have you ever seen those glaciers and they fall into the ocean? You know, I felt like that. You know, I just felt like there's parts of me that I didn't even know I had are just collapsing. You know, emotional parts of me that are just, I got no control over this kind of stuff. And I was always a pretty much I'm in control guy. You know, I, I've got this all under control and I can handle everything. I mean, I used to even tell myself, Paul, you can handle this because Paul handles what? Everything. I can do this. And all of a sudden, something hit me that I couldn't, I could not handle. And, and, Man, that was hard for me. But I also knew that the whole concept of Paul handles everything was leading me in a bad path. And I always thought time heals, and I went to visit his gravesite one time, and I finally found it, and I remember just seeing it and seeing the name, and I just fell to my knees, cried like a baby. I've never gone back. Um, I still limp from that one. I still do. Why? Because God needed Paul with a limp. Because Paul with a limp is better than Paul without. Um, am I a better person because of it? I don't know if better. I'm different. I learn stuff. I wish there was another way to learn stuff. But do I trust God that he's working in the midst of that? Of course I do. Next is look big and look beyond. It says this, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And I want to say this one, time out, what does it mean, light, light affliction? And what does it mean, momentary? It means that God's doing little things in the moment that are changing things for the big, for the good, for the huge. I don't want to get into vaccination stuff like that. I just know when my kids were little, we took them into the pediatrician for their puppy shots. You know that? You know, you take kids in and they do it. And, and we had one little kid and... and we have three children, beautiful children, not little kids. But anyway, when they were small, you know, we took one of big, fat, chubby little thighs, you know, on, on this one. And, and, and we, we brought him in. And I remember clearly, you know, I'm, I'm there with Lisa. And they said, okay, just, 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 just hold your child, hold your son. You know, as we're going to give him the child. They came in with the needles, you know, one for this thigh, one for this thigh, you know. And they pow, you know, boom, you know, pow, and do so. And, you know, I'm watching this. And you just hear this piercing scream, you know, it goes on. You know, and I closed my eyes, and Lisa says, okay, Paul, you can stop screaming. Now they're done. You know, my kid, <laughs> kid was fine. It wasn't me. It was all kind of stuff. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because light and momentary pain produces a lifetime of health. Okay? We know that. We do, we do that. And if we do that for our kids, can't God do that as well? The Bible is written with an eternal perspective. We live forever. And that means that this life is just a blip. It's just a hiccup. You know? And momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight. Glory. What a sta statement that is. And, and I just think it's going to be so cool that in 10,000 years from now, maybe we'll be back together again in heaven. And I'll, I'll say to you, hey, remember that pandemic thing we had? 
And you will say, uh, hardly. But I remember when somebody brought donuts into the office and you got really bugged by that ball, you know. Um, momentary versus eternal. And the last thing, just the last thing, is it's just no hope. I mean, no God's hope. No God's hope. We've said this before, that hope is an assurance that a loving God's in control of life and of my life. And no matter what happens, good or bad, he's in charge. And it's okay. No matter what happens, he's in charge. And, and, and it's going to be okay. And, and, and when things fall apart, I know God is perfect, and I know he's perfect in his goodness because he can't do anything wrong, and he won't do anything wrong. I know God is loving, and that means he's always loved you, always loved you. I'm going to ask the worship team. They're going to come up, and, and they're going to set up because they're going to do a great song just about God's closeness and presence with us, and it's, and it's, and it's pretty cool. Um, um, as we are going to worship once again and be comforted once again. But, you know, you, you just kind of think through stuff. I was by myself eating lunch this past week and, and, you know, kind of all the thoughts of the week coming down on me. And, 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 and again, I don't know. You make decisions and those decisions don't turn out right or there's issues and you frame wrong, you frame it wrong and and then that D word comes, and that D word is despair. And I was just kind of sitting there with a sandwich, sitting outside, feeling a little bit despairing over myself. And you just think, was it my fault? You know, what could I have done differently? You know, despair, what, what, a, what a word. And again, there's that song, why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Why? You know, why are you that way? But listen to what it says, hope in God. For once again I will praise him since his presence saves me and he is my God. How about this one? We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. The cool thing about this is in this whole story and even think about the story of Jacob God is the only God that climbs down into your pit. He will climb down into your pit. He did that in Jesus Christ. He climbs down into the pit. God did not say from heaven, well, sucks to be in this world. You know, good luck with that. Jesus came down and got dirty alongside us, understood despair, sadness, and pain. He understood that. And he says, I'll walk alongside you through this, with you in this. The Bible says this, what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? That's a question, and it's a good one. And here it comes with an answer. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along, also along with him graciously give us presence of God with you. Let's thank God for that presence.